Hi everyone and welcome to the Curve Mindset Podcast. I'm your host and co-founder, Laurie McGinley. Today we're joined by Gary Carneen. How are you, Gary? Good, thanks, Laurie. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. It's a um, little bit less sunny than it was last week in uh, Scotland, but, you know, it's, uh, as usual, the weather just kind of fluctuates, just like our coaching and our World Cup, which didn't really get off to a, a good start or even get, you know, into the group stages, but these things happen, but... Can you just tell the listeners a wee bit of background about yourself? Yeah, so I'm originally from Northern Ireland, um, clinging on to the accent these days. Uh, moved over when I was, eight. I played at youth levels in Northern Ireland, nothing spectacular. Um, moved over to the US when I was 18, went to Wingate University on a scholar, soccer scholarship, and a Division Two school in North Carolina, small. Was there for four years, um, played there, had a great experience, and then reached a point then when it was the, what do I do now? Originally had plans to go into business, um, had, had dreams of going into corporate America and making fortunes and going into Wall Street, and then got massive cold feet, really. Uh, didn't know what to do, and then had an opportunity to stay on and work with the men's coach there who brought me over, Gary Hamill, and... He was from Belfast and he was a mentor to me in the coaching side of it. So he, I, I didn't really have any interest in it. And then once I started taking that role and then started doing a little bit of coach education myself and realized that there was a big bad world out there that wasn't just X's and O's. There was psychology, there was science, there was training methods, there was leadership, there was business strategies, all these different things that I felt that I could learn. Um, and then implement with my personality. So I, I, I really started enjoying it. And then two years into that, a job opened up on the woman's side. And I was fortunate. It was during a time that there was no real uh, surge of, you know, today a job's posted and, and there's 500 applicants by lunchtime. And back then there was no kind of job site. So they, right. they posted, they, they weren't really looking for uh they didn't go for a national search and they were looking for someone short term and I, I kind of said, right, well, give it to me and I'll see what I can do. And I stayed there for for eight years um, and then that's where I where I grew as a coach. I learned a lot. I made a lot of mistakes. I you know, It was a good environment for me to learn and um, we had a little bit of success as well, which helped and then moved on to an assistant coach role at Cincinnati with Neil Stafford for, for a year uh, at Division One. And then took a head coaching job in 2014 in California State University, Bakersfield. Stayed there for four years. And then this year I took a role as assistant coach with the Chicago Red Stars in the Women's Professional League. And uh, six months into that, really enjoying it. No, brilliant. And I've been watching your work for the last, you know, three, four years. It's just been really inspiring how you can, you know go to another country, you know, and just have that kind of mindset to go, do you know what, I've made a mistake, but I need to kind of adapt to their culture. But just kind of going into your kind of early career, um, so your mindset, moving to another country, did you have that kind of fear factor or did you have that, I'm excited to go and explore something new? Yeah, I mean, I think at that age, at 18, you know, you're, you just, you think you're invincible at 18 and even... For me, it was it was something that I had my heart set on from 14 years of age. I, I really wanted to come. I was I was obsessed with America, American culture. The World Cup was here four years before, five years before it. So um, 
yeah, I really wanted to do it. But then coming over, I didn't know how difficult it was going to be. I had a, I had such a support system at home with family and friends. I came from a small town that when I came over here, uh, I even though I was in a good environment and I was in a good situation, I really struggled with homesickness. And it was probably the first time in my life that I dealt with real adversity. So um, finding a way to deal with that and becoming stronger through that. And then my parents helped me through it and soccer helped me through it. So those two things have kind of shaped how now I coach, where I feel that coach players, young players should be exposed to challenges and should be helped work through challenges because that's what helped for me and that's how I felt I got a little bit stronger. So, um, yeah, to answer your question, yeah, excitement at the start and then a little bit of fear and then a little bit of knocked out of my comfort zone and then, you know, having to survive in a country. I don't see it's a massive culture difference and I'm probably more American now than I am Irish. <laughs> but now, but it's, it's something that, you know, it, it does it does make you a little bit more independent, and that's definitely what I needed. I was so I was so sheltered uh, in terms of my family looking after me when I was young that it was it was a really good thing for me. Yeah, and as you said, you're kind of sheltered. But do you do you think that you know nowadays, maybe the last maybe ten fifteen years, that people or players are kind of more sheltered than they have been ever before, or do you think they need that kind of resilience to you know make it to the kind of top level? Yeah, I mean, we we talk about this a lot, and and obviously with with coaching, so much good information on Twitter today, and so much stuff on player development. It's you know resilience and ad- dealing with adversity is is such a key skill that young players have to develop, and and it's easy, I feel, to say, well, it's a different generation, and kids today, you know, dot dot dot, aren't whatever. But you know, I think as coaches, we've and as parents and as society, we've um, we have contributed to that in a massive way where you know coaches today are reluctant to challenge a little bit more because there's so much competition at the youth level we don't want our players leaving yeah. so sometimes subconsciously it's just a case of we think we're challenging them by training them hard but in reality we're just trying to keep our top players happy which at the professional level sometimes you know you you know you you have to do Mourinho has to do that to certain players, but an under fourteen coach doesn't have to do that there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think we can expose them to it. I mean, they're going to face it eventually, right? So there's no point in in sheltering them from adversity until they're eighteen, nineteen years of age. So how do we do it? And I think we give them small challenges and we connect with the parents a little bit more in terms of what we're doing. But yeah, the more the more I see youth sports. Laurie, the more there's a disconnect between coaches and players and there's a disconnect between coaches and parents and it seems to be getting bigger. Yeah, and you know, you talk about this kind of disconnect and I think social media is a big, big issue at the moment but you were kind of director of marketing and social media at Wingate University. Do you think that's changed a lot in the last maybe 10, 15 years as social media can play a positive and a negative impact in kind of the mindset of kind of younger athletes and also coaches yeah yeah i mean it's probably you probably would have said it about tv 30 years ago you know like would it it's probably taking the place of tv now people are on their phones more than they're sitting in a living room so i just think it's changed that there still is a, a way of getting in front of people and getting your message across and i think that's where social media is really really good where if you can help Obviously, coaches helping coaches, coaches exposing coaches to more information, new ideas, all those things is such a is such a powerful thing. So, coach education from an information point of view has has 
just accelerated drastically over the past 10 years. Of course, there's always negatives that go with anything. So, yeah, there's players that can use it as... Um, or coaches who can use it to, to from a coach player develop uh, communication they can they can mis- misuse it as well coaches can you know send things to to, to players that are or put stuff out like I always I always say at the start with my teams that, that nothing I tweet is directed at any like I don't subtweet anyone I don't put this out to where I get up in the morning and I direct a tweet at a player that they can read and say is he talking about me so that's that's just a rule I have, and I think the more that there is, the more room that there is for people to misread things, then the more clarity you need to provide and how you use it. So for coaches and parents, like I have a lot of parents that that send me messages about, well, you you know, trying to basically say they've got a bad coach, and I'm you know my my platform is not designed to hammer players, it's not designed to hammer coaches, it's not designed to hammer. Um, parents, it's just designed to add a little bit more insight as to what it takes to be successful and do it in a positive way. So, yeah, to answer your question, I think if if you're going to use it, you have to be clear in what you're using it for. And and there's no point in having, I think as a coach, there's no point in having a big voice if you're going to, yeah, if you're going to use it for a way that's not helping players. If you're just using it a way to, yeah, get a great result today or disappointed by a team's performance today you're just going up and down and i think at that stage you're better off just not not using it yeah definitely and i think it's uh, as you said the uh, people read things and they miss uh, misinterpret it a lot of the time but um kind of moving on you you are head coach of the kind of wednesday university kind of the women's team um see you working in women's football for the first time how did you feel about that did you have kind of any uh, kind of recommendations from people or did you just go do you know what it's football end of the day I just need to kind of treat it the way you know the men's kind of game is yeah I mean I treated it I mean I was I've always been a student of the game and I've always been passionate about the game and that's why I wanted to do it so I, I was I was into coaching in a big way and I thought this is a great opportunity so um, I pro- probably two things number one was the age the age gap I mean I, I took my first head coaching job at 24 um, and I was coaching players that were 22, so so there's not a lot of difference there. So that had to I had to adapt my person because if I went in and, and became, uh, you know, closer to players socially, then I would have lost. I felt I would have lost respect. So I kind of went in from an aspect of I removed myself. I uh, I probably wasn't as authentic. You know, Donna Fisher is always saying about authentic leadership, and for my first five years, I wasn't authentic. Like my my social life, my professional life were completely different. Um, I was probably a little bit more standoffish as a coach. I didn't have a lot of interaction with players off the pitch, uh, team uh, individual meetings. I just like I decided that this would be everything would be done in the in the team construct because I felt that would be easier for me to to kind of distance myself and, and deal with that age. And then as I got older, the individual aspect of the coaching has probably increased. Um, and then the other aspect of it as well is that I've, I was really, really passionate about being different. Like that's how, again, my business background and, and if you're looking at what differentiates products or what differentiates brands or what differentiates leaders, then you have to be different to make a difference. So I didn't want to go in with, uh, I didn't want to go in with Anson Dorrance's book and say I'm going to implement everything Anson does. Or I didn't want to go in with Gary Hamill's book on the men's side. I wanted to be different. 
Um, and sometimes that looks as something. And, and, and this is what I think I was really good at as a young coach was I looked at, at every aspect and thought, can you, can you do it the opposite way and have an impact? Because I felt that that's what players are sometimes conditioned to work in so in, in you know every exercise being the same. And they go to another coach and it's the same, it's the same message. And if you want to get a little bit more out of them, then you have to think of different ways to communicate it. There are different ways to, to get it through on the training pitch. And I felt that that's how I got my players' attentions when I was younger. Yeah, and it's just a credit of like hard work and kind of... Being different always kind of makes the players kind of be on edge, but in a good way, you know, because they want to learn more. Um, moving on, you kind of you are the uh, assistant coach at University of Cincinnati. Do you think there was a, a how did you kind of deal with the difference being an assistant to be a head coach? Yes, it's always challenging when you're in new environments, and you're obviously you've got a boss now. So when you're a head coach. Sometimes as a head coach, when you're younger, especially, I didn't realize that I was working. You know, when you think everything's right, um, you feel as if you're being challenged. You feel as if you're being in your comfort zone. But the reality is, is that if, you've, if your awareness isn't high enough, you can just be doing things and, and convincing yourself that, oh, yeah, this is, you know, I'm being challenged here. And you're really not. So when I went to Cincinnati, um, yeah, I was challenged. I had a, I had a boss, Neil thought of the game in a different way than I did um, a lot more different than when I started working with him you know we, we I knew Neil I had a previous relationship with Neil um, but didn't understand that we were different ends of the spectrum when it came to different uh, collectively about the game we thought of the game in a similar way but how we went about that was different so you know when, when you're there you, you can't just say well this is how I think of it Neil and, and Nate Lee as well and everyone says all right that's great Gary you ha- you're questioned every day in your philosophy so that made me made me better over a period of time and I had to work through that and then secondly was was the work ethic um, because it went from you know Wingate was a, a small school uh, you know if you lose at Wingate nobody knows about it and if you lose at Cincinnati now suddenly it's you know it's a bigger school so everyone knows about it there's 30,000 people the athletic department is is a you know, it's a multi-billion-dollar industry. So now you're you're just in a different. You're in corporate world. So the work ethic then, again, kind of context to being out of your comfort zone. Context of work so work ethic changes. Neil was in every day at five o'clock in the morning, and he expected his staff. And you know, if training was at six, you had to be in around five five thirty. And then you're thinking, well, I'll be home at lunchtime, and you're home at dinner time every night. So it's twelve to ten hour days. And, and Neil's such an intense guy and he wants a culture of grinding and I'm not a grind guy and not to say I don't believe in work ethic but I don't believe in sitting in an office for, for 12 hours so I had to adapt to that there and it was it was really really good for me so I couldn't have I couldn't have made the next jump I thought I was ready as a division 2 head coach to go from division 2 head coach to division 1 head coach but I couldn't have took the Bakersfield job if I didn't have that year of learning uh, of what it took at Cincinnati and I took so much from Neil Stafford and still do um, I, he changed me probably more than I changed him and, and I'll be really really I'll be grateful for that for, for the rest of my life for sure yeah and as you just mentioned there you know you were the California State University in Bakersfield see the kind of mindset of kind of dealing with that kind of next level as you said there but you know for the listeners who kind of potentially want to work in America do you think you know these kind of bigger schools have more pressure, eh, or do you deal with the pressure 
with uh, having a good season beside you? Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting one because I, I, pressure exists in, in soccer in America and it doesn't exist, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like you, so the, Every job I've had, I thought I was under pressure until I've kind of moved on to a different level and then I've looked back on it and thought, you actually weren't under pressure, you just thought you were under pressure. And that's how I felt that, you know, Wingate, I thought every game was Champions League. And then you get to Cincinnati and the players ask you, well, where did you come from? And you tell them, but it's, they never heard of it. And it's the same now when, <laughs> when I, my players at Red Stars are like, where you, I don't even know there was, you know, they've all played at the top schools in the country. So they've, so it's, yeah, your pressure is different. Um, as always, like as I think it's a it's a double edged sword. As as pressure goes up, you also have better resources to work with. So and and everything has a has a positive and negative. So you could say, all right, well, at Bakersfield, you're not expected to win every game, and that's great. And it and it was like it was great to go in and not have that pressure to win the next day. But after a year, two years, it's not Bakersfield. It's your program. Yeah. So. You're trying to change that. Change in culture is the most... Like, I'm fascinated by how cultures change because changing it, if someone goes in and changes something long-term uh, and can do it and sustain it and then almost re keep rebuilding it because you just there's not a switch and it's easy to continue a culture. Changing a culture is just the hardest. It's such a slog because as a coach, you're trained in soccer and you're, and you're, you're just... You're drawn to the game, but cultures are like it's it's you know Laurie like it's how people pull their socks up. It's how people address oh, yeah. one another, and and people don't want to be held accountable to that. It's our nature as as humans. So you have to be the the the, the police officer every day to come in and say, no, listen, this is not what we're about, and and that is that's exhausting. But that's where the value is, I think, of coaching rather than you know. I think that's where. So we say, you know, know your philosophy and go after it is because if you if you don't believe in what you're doing and you're trying to change something, then you're, it's not going to last. Yeah, there's two things in that culture. You know, like um, I was at a recent study visit and every single player shook my hand, you know, including all the staff members and I asked the kind of academy manager why it wasn't. It says a respect thing. You know what I mean? But that was just a, you know, from all the way from the under sevens to the, the 23s, you know, under seven is a high five, or you know, a fist bump. But you know, these, you know, things are just kind of to show that there's a, a continued, you know, gratitude towards the staff, but also towards the parents. But as it just kind of uh, shift into that kind of thing, you talked about pressure. You know, and um, when you're at Bakersfield, you said that you know they didn't w well didn't want you to win, but winning wasn't everything. But as a coach, do you think you need to win at all costs sometimes? just to prove that you can actually do it under that pressure? Yeah, wow, what a question. So many layers, this question. <laughs> do, I th do you think I need to win? Yeah, you need to win. Like, you know, an under-14 coach, an under-16 coach, a college coach, you need to win. Like, not at all costs, but you need to be... You know, you can't convince as a... Say, I'll go to U14, and I don't work in youth development, but you need to win more of your games than the than than the rest of the people if you're trying to build something because otherwise like at the end of the day it's a sport and you know you're not preparing players for the next level if you're not getting them competitive and if you're not if you're not showing measurements of progress now win at all costs that there's a difference between win at all costs and winning every game yeah. um so 
in college, like I, I can't, you know, I, that was my biggest challenge at Bakersfield was, you know, was coming in every day and having that. Even though we were up against, say, if we if we went to UCLA, who have twenty times the budget and twenty times the resources and staff and all that there, uh, and we go in there and lose. And then we play Duke and we go there and lose. And then we play Pepperdine and go there and lose and play top 10 schools. Even if we were growing and getting better and hanging in those games, my players are looking at me saying, what you're doing doesn't work. And that's not a, uh, that's not a slight on my players. That's just society. Yeah. Like, so that's, if my players are doing that and I'm, I'm consciously like, you know, I've, I've been there. My, your messaging is, growth and your messaging is improvement and development but if you're not you know you're judged by a scoreboard same way if you're a golfer and you're a swing coach and you're saying well this is how i want you to drive the ball and they're putting it in the woods and you're shooting 20 over par your player is not going to say hey love what you're doing to me here this is great i'm loving training and they're going to say that this isn't working so you need you, you know as and i think that's something that as coach development that we should be more aware of is you need like we talk about momentum in games but you need momentum in your culture you need small wins so you need good training sessions and then you need good performances but you also need good results and if you don't get those results like there's there's coaches and and we've all been there where it's like your life is so much more everyone walks and talks and looks a little bit differently when you're winning um but there's a big difference between that there and winning at all costs. Winning at all costs is is, is taking the result before the process for me. Um, and I don't think, you know, at, at any level, there's, I don't believe that that exists at any level because even if you look at the top performers and you look at, again, the Mourinho's and the Guardiola's, that's not winning at all costs. You, you, like they're, they're so process driven because their daily behaviors are all about the performance. Um, and, and what we tell you that would be not when they lose and they shout, but if they win, like if they win, Mourinho goes in every day and they they still do the work. So I feel that sometimes we get mixed up. And again, as coaches, we want things binary. We want it to be black or white. Well, you're either about development or you're about winning. And like now, you you have to be about both if you want to be a really good coach. Yeah, definitely. And you know, through that, obviously the years of hard work and the grind. You know, you got your big move to Chicago Red Stars. Um, can you tell us a bit about that and the kind of mindset when working with professional players? Yeah, I took the job, and so I I left uh, Bakersfield at the start of the year, and I just felt I needed, I just needed something different for myself. Um, just for an experience or to grow and to more even a different way. I was a head coach for, you know, I was a head coach for, I think, 12 out of 14 years coaching. And, yeah, I just felt that I wanted to take a difference. I felt that as I became better tactically, I felt I became, I lost a little bit of my identity um, from connection with players and looking at the game from the way that I kind of started coaching. So this is a way that I want to get back into learning a bit more from players and how they tick and what works and what doesn't. So, you know, I, I interviewed with Rory at the convention and, and he kindly offered me the position. I came in with, with Craig Harrington and it's it's different. You know, you've got obviously a different calibre of player and you communicate in different ways and you work in different ways and there's, there's pressure. Uh, there's real pressure here because people's jobs are at stake and, and you know, there's people that... Uh, People pay money to go watch you play, so it's it's a business. And 
it's challenged me in a number of different ways. You know, it's challenged me on the field in my sessions. It's challenged me in my communication to staff and players, and it's challenged me uh, in my philosophies as well and theories. It's, it's challenged me to think a little bit differently, and that's really what I wanted. So, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it, and, uh, and still am. So, it's it's uh, every day. We won on Saturday, so. Uh, the week, the week after you win is a lot better than the week after you lose. Oh, like I was saying about the results. And uh, kind of going, you know, through your, you know, some of the stuff you do with the uh, Craig. It seems like you, you have such a good uh, relationship with the kind of fellow coaches. Is that something you've kind of br- brought yourself, you know, with the kind of the culture, or is it kind of always good to have three or four people with different personalities but can all work together? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I really like our staff. Like, it's it's a lot different. Like, they're, I mean, like, Craig Harrington is, I would be closest to Craig just because we both came in at the same time and, and basically drove in for the first six weeks. We drove in together and, and spent a lot of time together. So, uh, but Craig's completely different than I am. Like, Craig's type A. Craig's, and I'm more like, I, I forget, I lose my car keys six times a day and Craig probably is his on a little latch with an alarm in his wallet and all, like he's such an organised guy. Um, and Jordy King is, the goalkeeper coach is, um, is different as well, different philosophies, Rory's different philosophies as well. So yeah, I think as a staff, they're more... The more diversity of the way people think, then the more than when you come in and have a meeting, it's not just one mind, it's four different minds. And I think that that might be like a bit cliche, but I think when you're dealing with situations, the, the game is so complex and the problems that you have at, at this level are, you know, there's so many variables to them that if you miss a variable and, and if you have someone, if you have a staff who aren't appreciative of, either off the field stuff or a training or science or the medical and if you have and if these things are skipped then you're not getting all the information that you need to make the right decision so your decision is going to be off and I think that's where that's what I enjoy it's like everyone specializes in different things and you've got you know you can get your mind can get changed and I mean I love going into meeting the same way I love reading a book I love having a having like what I frame as the way it is and I'm like right I, I want to get this shifted here and challenging people to do that is is great for me like that's that's really enjoyable process and and I think that's what as you improve the levels you know it's similar to players Laurie like as as we think that when we when we go up the levels we think that the players are easier to work with because they have more talent but it's the mindset that changes. It's the, the biggest, you know, the different mindsets of the top players and different mindsets of the top coaches. And that's fascinating every day to go in and talk to these people and hear insights. It's, it's really, really good. So I love it. Yeah, brilliant. And, you know, you've achieved a lot in kind of qualifications. You know, you've completed a licence. Would you ever kind of go and do a pro licence or would you continue to improve to try and get to the next level or kind of different ways of kind of developing because I know a lot of coaches kind of stay at an A licence level but they always are improving but you know they might not do the pro licence but they kind of could potentially get invited to it Yeah I mean I'd like to do something again uh, probably at the time actually like I haven't done any formal coach education stuff in god like six seven years um, maybe even more so it's, I, I would need to, you know, I need to get back. Uh, you know, I, 
to be honest, like I done my A, I done my NSCAA, and and then I kind of went aggressively to educate myself. And you know, you, you you're doing that as well, Laurie. Like it's 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 a major commitment. Yeah. So you almost get you almost get swept up in that there. But I, I I'd like to do it in. You know, I've heard good things about USSF and, and the way they, the, the courses are worked over here, but I'd like to go to a different culture and do something and just be exposed to a different form, uh, different way, different challenges, stuff like that there. But I like the way, like, that's obviously with, with coach education, the way some people are going about it today is, is to provide workshops and make it more of a, rather than coach education being a, an event, whereas I'll go to a course once every three years, you know, it's it's a process, and I'd like to go into more of the, you know, into something every six months or something like that there, and, and I feel that that's where, you know, it's getting there eventually, rather than being, I talked to someone the other day that it's not, we need to challenge coaches a little bit more in the environment. The challenge shouldn't be presenting a session, because that's the easiest thing in coaching, like in coaching, you know, you're, you're very, very rarely going to be challenged on your sessions in coaching. But my word, are you challenged on your delivery? Are, my, are you challenged on your environment? Are you challenged on your decisions? And I'd like to get to a course where it challenges every aspect to where someone could be like, your delivery isn't where it needs to be. And could you sit in a locker room and inspire a group of players? Not with that language or not with that our form of communication. So this is how you improve that. And um so that's kind of where you know where where that is. I, I don't know, but yeah, I'd, I'd like to do it at some stage. No, definitely, and it's I'm just complete my license at the moment, and hopefully pass it in the the summer of 2019. But that's the kind of plan. But uh, just the um, last couple of questions. Um, you know, you created a modern soccer coach. Can you can you tell us what inspired you to you know make that, and also the mindset when you know dealing with different kind of coaches and kind of net- networking. Yeah, it was just something that you know. I've, I I wrote the book and I wrote the books, and then it it became you know the modern soccer coach became a little bit of a brand, and then I wanted to be more than you know, I wanted to be careful in how I was branding modern soccer coach. I didn't want it to be Gary Cardina's modern soccer coach, yeah. so I wanted a separate entity, and then I wanted to evolve it where it wasn't just a book, where it was workshops or it was webinars or it was a you know even on a daily thing just a way of provoking thought and i think that you know you like go back to evolving and go back to changing well you know even social media you have to you know like when i started social media and and some people probably think i still do is it's just a quote a day but like i i would like to progress coaches to not just reading a tweet but getting you know like going to thinking a little bit more even if it's just a video or even if it's something like that there and then it's uh, maybe it provokes a little bit of dialogue or provokes a little bit of thought I think that's the progression in social media and then obviously from how I would like to structure coach education how I would like to structure um, development for coaches is diversity is is thinking that you know it's not it's not the Spanish way or the French way or the Brazilian way every way if there's a philosophy there and there's good work and it's well communicated, every way has, there's a space for every every part of it because there's so many different aspects of the game and so many different cultures. So I want to expose um, 
coaches to as many you know there's quality people out there that maybe don't have that platform or don't have that audience but they're putting out good content and i feel that if we can put and promote that message a little bit more then coaches can learn that there's you know that your your philosophy can change and you can change your mind what you thought was nonsense three weeks ago maybe you just don't understand as much and rather than using social media as a, a soapbox to proclaim that there's one way of doing things and this is the right way then social media should be used as a way for you to test theories or to get a little bit more education or to you know hear different ways and i think if the coaching community you know again it's a bit of a pipe dream it's a bit of a uh, it's a little bit cliched or it's a little bit of a um, idealistic way of looking at it but i think if coaches could take more from themselves and take more from other coaches and take more from players rather than you know the the, the books aren't enough Laurie. like you, you know you read a lot but like, you know that if you don't back that book up with, you know, the one thing I like about when you're putting books out, obviously I like when you when you promote mine, but yeah. <laughs> one thing I like about it is that you've, you're going in different directions, you know, and, and you have to go in different And I, what I do, what I dislike is, is people like, well, what, what book should I read? Like, there's not one book out there that's going to take you somewhere. Like, you need to be either A, reading, reading 100 books, and just going chop, 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 chop. Or you need to be reading a book that's completely different from the other. Or you need to, someone told me a couple of weeks ago, you need to be reading 10 pages of one, 10 pages of another, and constantly. Otherwise, you're just going to move in a direction that everyone wants to take you. And that's what, that's, to me, that's the last thing coaching needs today is, is to have a replica of, you know, 100,000 coaches all thinking the same and doing the same because I don't think that does the player or the game any good. Yeah, definitely. And going back to the, the books, it was, uh, I was, it was actually Alistair McCaw who kind of told me a couple of things. He said, try and buy, you know, four books or, you know, two uh, to do with your sport and two psychology the next month to, you know, another kind of thing. So therefore you've got an idea, but you can actually just pick, you know, the kind of ones that are might put you at your comfort zone, but they're the ones that are going to stretch you the most. You know, as you said, 100 books, some people read 150 books and you know if you don't back up with theory or on the pitch then it's just a waste of time to be honest you know and that's the the big thing um just away of your time sorry i've taken so long of you no you're good you're yeah. good i'm in no rush um just um going back to the kind of modern soccer coach you've done a mentorship um at the start, i think it was the start of the year um can you just tell listeners a wee bit about the background behind that and also the kind of the people who are involved in it so therefore you know if there's an next one then people potentially could apply for it or something like that yeah so that the idea was to go through again to take a coach in one area and diversity of thought take them to so i felt that again the inspiration probably behind it was i felt that my 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 pathway or the, my philosophy was pretty linear at the start where i went in a college direction and I was an impact, even though I did my initial coach education outside the US. My, you know, the how I was taught as a coach was basically throughout the college system and club system over here. So I wanted to see what would happen if we talk about coaches from different cultures. And and the biggest form of learning is not actually, you know, a coaching course. The biggest form of learning is is a mentor, is having someone who's going to talk you through situations. So what would happen if you took a coach from one area, give them a mentor in a different area and try to shape and challenge and support them in, in different ways. And 
and that was looking at pairing up um, a coach, you know, five female coaches, five male coaches, all from a different region, uh, and then going through a form of almost putting a, every month having a topic and going off that as well. So this was the first year I did it. Um, you know, there's a lot of, imp- I think, the, you know, success and failures with it. Success being that, you know, I think that the, the the aspect of it works where you're taking them. You know, there's there's three or four of them that got really good relationships with their with their mentors and and obviously used it. As, there's peer learning as well, where people are drawing ideas from each other. Um, and I think the improvements. And I was actually talking to one of the mentors last night. You know, it, it's I think we can improve the management of it and where where I was challenged was that I didn't want to make it a coaching course where every month you had uh, to submit things and it had to be due in a certain date so I wanted to give them space to you know people are learning at different rates and I probably gave too much space because then people can say well I've you know that people can fall behind and then they can lose their way a little bit so you know I think there's feedback in there for me to, to take it and improve it and when things settle down here, I'm actually, you know, and I'm moving at a different rate as well. So I've, I'm a month behind it as well. So I've got to, I've got to find some time to, to get it, to get it completed. Um, and then we'll look again and, and probably do a lot of feedback and then do a lot of brainstorming and, and try and take it in a different direction or, a, or a, not a different direction, a new direction in the new year. And then I want to add a, a different element to it as well that I'm working on as well. So, yeah, it's, it's going to take a bit more work, uh, but it's it was really, really fun, and um, hopefully it's the start of something really good. Yeah, brilliant. And just a couple of quick fire questions. Um, who, who's your role model? Who do you look up to and why? Um, oh, what a question. <laughs> I mean... I mean, like the, my biggest role model is my father. Like it's, it's like I felt that in a number of ways. Like I've, I have a two-year-old, so there's a parental role model there as well. And and you know, I felt that he supported me when I needed the right kind of support. He, it was, he, it was so many situations now that I look back as a coach that my father could have been like, "Hey, tell you know the coach is wrong. Um, you're in the right, and you know that's." You should say something, but my dad always took the coach's side, um, and I always like I look back now and think that was a really, really important aspect to take because it gave me it gave me the ability to look at things from a different from different perspectives, and then he also then like my dad implemented or implements the wrong word. My dad, grew, uh, you know, kind of let me have a a, a real a real uh, what's the word like healthy love of the game that even though I was playing you know competitive soccer at 16 17 18 you know it never it was always we were always doing we were always chatting about the game we were always talking about how you know different players different teams so yeah my dad has been from a from a support mechanism and from a you know from a role model he's been the man that's that's really really helped me and then I was lucky when I started then Gary Hamill probably taught me a lot about what it took to be a coach away from the pitch and talking about you know the, the kind of the respect that you have to have for other people and the respect that that other people have to have for you and then how you grow that respect so yeah my dad uh, Gary Hamill was probably an extension of my dad in a way, where it was he was my like American go-to over here. 
and then now I just grab different people. Like I, you know, I have, I have, I feel I have a mentor on the tactical side. I have someone that I talk to that uh, once a month that, that takes me to a, a place where I need to go, stretches my theories and, and challenges me to think and to back that up. And that's, and that, that's kind of the way I approach mentors now is that I, I'm now more intentional about who I need to, um, and that was probably about two or three years ago, I felt that I needed to grow more tactically, and, and I feel that um, I'm getting better at that, for sure. No, but always. And um, just, who's the favourite, who's your favourite manager you've kind of ever seen on TV, or seen live, you know, a lot of people like, you know, Guardiola, Cruyff, but uh, I think, uh, I'm not sure if you're a Man U fan, but, you know, I think the Mourinho is starting to, you know, implement a few things over there, which is more, being more successful. Yeah, I mean, I obviously I respect the, the you know the level that it takes to work. Uh, you know, you talk about pressure before. Like nobody has any idea of pressure until it gets to that level of pressure. Until you're, you know, till you have scrutinised to that stage. And and again, the level that it takes to work with those players that are coming from different cultures, the amount of player power those players have, um, would be frightening. I would say to work in that environment. So I think all those play, all those coaches are. Are unbelievable. My personal favourites. I mean, I love I love Mourinho. Like I've always loved Mourinho because of the the how he can how he can control a game. And I think that a lot of coaches, you know, I think it's really interesting. All right, like I think we look at defending as such a bad thing. That's like even when Iceland were successful in the World Cup, it's almost that people are sympathetic towards them. Like, yeah, you know, I wouldn't play that style of soccer, but good for them for getting <laughs> some results. And same with Iran. And, like, it's almost that we take pity on people or we look down on people that take pride in the defensive side of the game. And with going back to the modern soccer coach and trying to be authentic and trying to develop your philosophy, if you don't develop your philosophy, then whenever you're tested under pressure or with results then you're going to fold and you're going to blame the players. So, you know, that's how strong, for me, that's a sign of how strong Guardiola's is, that he, he sticks to his philosophy at all. He knows it's right. But I think that a coach who's working at the club level, if he takes Guardiola's model and then it doesn't work, then the, the coach can always say, well, easy for Pep, he can go and buy player X. And going back to Mourinho, that's why I love him, because he gets so much stick about the defensive side and, and the way his teams play and he goes out every day and, and he works towards that there. He's, his media scrutiny is beyond belief but he's true to himself and I think that's what coaches like. That's what, you know, to me that's the strongest part of a coach is being true to yourself and being authentic and, and knowing your philosophy and standing by it and what I think it's, I think it's harder for Mourinho because He's just vilified for the way he plays so much, but he's not going to change that. Um, and he's obviously been successful. And um, I've seen him work a few years ago in, in LA uh, for a workshop for a couple of days. And, and it was a level of, like, everyone's successful. You know yourself, all you interview these people on the podcast, like the, the, the successful people. Just It's just a different level of depth. Um, and he was going into way way more depth than I had ever thought to as a coach so I always tell people like I went to that event thinking I was a coach and then I went away thinking that I wasn't a coach <laughs> well, I wanted to yeah just one final question um, yeah what does mindset mean to you 
Oh, well, mindset means to me is that it's how you think um, and using having a belief system or a thought process that is actually a competitive advantage or a weapon that can be used to propel you as a player or a coach. So having, having again, we're all governed by the way we thought, or the way we think and how we frame things and how much, how we solve problems or deal with challenges mentally. And I think that mindset for me is having a skill set mentally that can help you, yeah, that can help you get through adversity, that can help you deal with challenges, that can help you also, you know, the different aspect, the more, the more people have different levels to it. And I think the more people have different forms of weapons that would be like creativity, risk, um, and that's where, you know, it's not just about being, like I, I kind of cringe now when I look at tweets that are, I've written them, like mentally strong, like me, there's no such thing as mentally strong, like there's just different frames of, you know, it's, it's, it's the different levels of mindset. And I feel that, you know, if you want to be a top player or a top coach, that's, that's where the, that's where the magic is. Yeah. And just, uh, where can people find your work and your kind of books? Yeah, so my work is on, I mean, like uh, Twitter is probably the, the platform that I use the most. So it's um, Twitter at Gary Kernane, Instagram. I've jumped on the Instagram bandwagon, so I'm on there as well. Um, at Gary Kernane, Facebook, Coach Kernane. Um, then, yeah, the books are on are on Amazon. Also, modernsoccercoach.com has got, has got uh, some information as well. So, yeah, I mean, I always coaches that, that reach out, any questions or... Um, or any ideas, you know, but Gary at modernsoccercoach.com is my email, so uh, always up for it. Oh, perfect. Thanks again, Gary. No problems, Gary. Thanks for doing it. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you don't already, give us a follow on Twitter at The Curve Mindset, and please like and retweet the podcast. And also, if you can, leave us a review on SoundCloud or Anchor. Thanks for all your support.